Because sometimes I'll tell you the truth. I expect more from myself than I'm able to give. I expect more performance than I'm able to exhibit. And I get very frustrated. And it's crazy to be angry at yourself for still being alive. But I feel that the value of your book is you start to see through reading the book and each of these essays, you're not alone in this. There, there is, there is a natural frustration to having to sort of step back, reassess what your purpose is and what your goals, your realistic goals should be as you age. Hi, everybody. Diane Gilman here, formerly known as the Queen of Jeans, but now the proud host of my own podcast, Too Young to Be Old, which is also the title of my second book. I'm going to ask you all a question. Have you ever felt trapped inside your own body? I have. That's how I felt the evening before. I started chemotherapy for breast cancer. Like, oh my God, no place to run to, no place to hide, just got to face it. Well, our guest today, fascinating, Diane Gottlieb, the editor of Awakenings, Stories of Body and Consciousness, and they're personal. So Diane Gottlieb edited this book. 49 writers sat down and wrote their own personal experiences. And I can tell you that three times in my life, one of which is ongoing, three times in my life, I felt like, oh, rescue me, get me out of here. I'm not, my body is dragging me down. The first, honestly, that evening with chemotherapy, 72 years old, no place to go, and the most terrifying immediate future. The second, finding out through total pain, I had advanced arthritis in my right knee and dealing with that, which, you know, my brain goes at like 10,000 miles a minute, but my body goes at like one mile a minute now, hard to reconcile. And the third, just being a young mind inside an older body. Ah, help. And for that, I take lots of supplements and uh, physical therapy, but it is what it is. Without further ado, let me introduce the editor of this fantastic book, Diane Gottlieb. Diane, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Diane, thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to be here and I'm honored to be here. Oh, with you. please. Uh, this yeah. is so great. So tell me something. Just give a very brief background how you came to be an editor and how you came to gather together 49 people to give their individual stories. And then we'll just touch down and on a couple of those stories that were actually the most heart-wrenching and the most profound. So how did you get here? How did you put together these oh. 49 people? Brilliant. Well, um, 
my my story happens to be a, a um, I think an inspiring growing older story in that I went back to school at 56 years old for a master's in creative nonfiction, master's in fine arts. And um, I've always been interested in lifting the voices of others. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just been, I, I have a master's in social work. I worked as a therapist for many years. I work with at-risk students as a teacher. Um, but I, I, I started a blog called Woman Pause, which is my oh. uh, <laughs> antidote to menopause. And it was mine. all about lifting the voices of women who were 50 years and older. But through that, I became involved in a, a small but lovely literary journal. Um, and the editor of that journal also is the founder and editor of the press that published Awakenings. Uh -huh. And we sit, her name is Ariana Denblaker, and we talk a lot. And sometimes we talk about our bodies, and not always kindly and not always with generosity. And we said, you know, uh, I'm sick of this, right? You know, trashing on our bodies. And, and so many other people have strained relationships with their bodies. Uh -huh. Let's open up the conversation. Yeah. So we put out a call for, hey, do you, at writers, do you have a body story? Send it to us. We're gonna have an anthology. And, All right, and, so yeah, that's how it started. That is fantastic. And 49 of you sat down and I'd like you to talk about just a little bit about maybe the three most inspiring pieces mm -hmm. in your book where people really had to cope with what they were dealt and did it well or did it with grace and acceptance because those are things that for me, I'm always so go, 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 you know, a thousand miles an hour. It's hard for me to accept anything that makes me slow down or have to share my brain between thinking and pain management. So tell us the so, story, a couple of the stories that really touched you the most. Mm. That is so hard because one well, of the <laughs> one of the things, hard, yeah, <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the criterion I had in choosing which stories were going to be um, represented in this book was that they all had to touch me very deeply. Uh -huh. Good point. And they all had to teach me something. Um, and um, I, I'm just going to pick. How about picking three random stories because they're all so, whatever you so want to do. I just want our audience to get a flavor of your book. Sure. And how profound? If there's younger members of the audience, how profound having to live inside a body that you now have to devote a certain amount of energy to just maintaining and keeping a grip on is. Okay, so I'm gonna start out with a story that is uh, funny and profound. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, because it's, you know, you it, w when you read this book, I 
I think you need to have some tissues nearby. Uh-huh. Um, but there are also plenty of places where you're going to laugh. And the first story I'm going to talk about is by Kelly Short Borges. It's called Like a Kardashian. And um, she always felt uncomfortable about her rear end. Uh, <laughs> and she starts like this. I want to hate Kim K. I really do. I want to hate her for all the reasons some people love her. Her over-the-top obsession with appearance, down to the smallest false eyelash, her glossy black extensions, recently dyed blonde, her absurdly thick braid reaching the floor like some kind of modern-day Rapunzel. And she goes on, I want to hate her. I really do, but I can't because of her butt. And uh, she said, uh, launched by a sex tape, KK suddenly became a household topic of discussion, her butt a star. Many people were appalled at first. How dare she flaunt her abundant rear? Shouldn't she be hiding it under moo-moos? Shouldn't she envy other smaller rear ends? But Kim stood proud, and soon hers became the rear everyone wanted, the butt of the moment, and the first time ever, so did mine. Okay. So it's, yeah, and um, she just talks about how, and, and then, you know, it's funny, it's cute, it really is an adorable essay, but then she she says, wouldn't it be amazing if we all just embraced our shape, no matter the angle of our curves? Maybe okay, someday to get. I see your point here. So that's a good story because it's about a celebrity that truly reshaped, pardon the pun, the way we think about our bodies as females, but and, but also puts a lot of pressure on us. I know that you had said that one of the writers that you edited was born with dwarfism. And I wondered, and that's kind of the opposite of this Kim Kardashian essay. I wondered if you could just relate to us how she handled that. And and that affects, of course, her entire life and everything around it and all the people in it. And how how she came to a state of grace. And if you can just describe it, that would be great. Sure. Um, She talks about growing. So her mom was also had a, had a a dwarfism, but a different form. Um, So her mom was proportionally, uh, she was more in proportion, you know, Uh as we see it. Right. Um, and this author, Claude Olson, was less so. So at the beginning, she didn't realize, you know, the difference. She thought she was just like her mom. And then she saw the difference. And she sees how when she goes into the world, um, she said, some take photos to prove what they have seen. They will actually stop and take a picture. I suddenly find myself on display before a crowd of gawking anthropologists. No one tells them to stop tapping on the glass. 
you know, it, the interesting thing about that, and I'm going to talk about this very briefly, from my experience all my life, I was a look at me, look at me, look at me kind of person. My entire wardrobe was, oh, got to comment on that and, and my stance. And, but I found as I came out of breast cancer, I had nothing to wear as a fashionista because I didn't want people looking at me anymore. And I find that if I walk into a restaurant or a theater or any form of entertainment where there's a crowd, I may be the only white haired woman in there and everybody is looking at you and wondering how old is she and is that hair color real? It is amazing to me as someone who wanted that attention all my life. Now I'm more like, hey, give me a break. <laughs> don't, don't pay so much attention to me, mm -hmm. which you have no control over. Mm -hmm. So I can mm -hmm. imagine that she felt like she was in a fishbowl. Absolutely. And Absolutely. did she has does yes. she does she live with that joyously and gracefully? She does. Um, she said, I moved, she lived in a small town. She moved to Washington and left behind the need to conform. Now I am a creature in a vibrant city. Strangers often come up to me, stare deeply into my eyes and tell me that I am beautiful. I know they mean this as a revelation, but still take it as a compliment. I have shown them another world know an entire universe of possibilities. That is fantastic. That is so inspiring. And so I'm going to ask you, do you have another favorite or another really moving story amongst the 49 essays that you would like to share? Do you have a story within those 49 essays? I, I wrote an introduction. Oh, and okay. yeah. So if you want me to, um, I could I share a little bit of it. Yeah, I would love you mine. to share a bit of that. Okay. Without a doubt, the person who had the greatest impact on my relationship with myself and my body was my mother. When I was small and my dear, much older sister moved out of the house to get married, I dealt with my grief by eating lots and lots of chocolate and drinking <laughs> enormous amounts of orange juice. While mom never came out and directly criticized my shape, I did not believe I mattered much to her until I lost the weight and ga I gained and then some. I did this in seventh grade by eating only one package of frozen string beans and ketchup every night for dinner. When I'd come home from a party, the question that awaited me when I walked in the door was not, did you have fun, but were you the prettiest one there? <laughs> and um that's i i so my own struggle with my body and we've talked before i have a love-hate relationship with my body started very very young i think with messages yeah, yeah yeah and i think a lot of us carry messages about size how much space we take up 
should take up, how little space we should take up. So we have stories, we have weight stories here from both ends of the you know, scale. I always say that for every negative, there's a positive. For every yeah. dark moment, there's a moment of light. So when I was a little kid, um, I had a skin condition, which I still have, and I can't, I have a total sensitivity to the sun. Um, mm. Now, I grew up with every billboard having the copper tone baby. Yes, yes. Right? So it was yes. baby oil, tin foil. Yes. Just bake yourself. And, and I tried it again and again. And every time I got severely burned and had to have a series of treatments and shots. And so, in a way, even as a child, I hated my body. I felt mm. my body betrayed me totally my skin, everybody else was so tan and I was living like in the middle of the Southern California desert and um, had totally inappropriate skin tone. And then I remember Madonna and Madonna never went out in the sun and everything reversed and it became more fashionable not to be tan. And I thought, thank God, for Madonna. And the flip side of that is in older age, at 78 years old, people always think, they'll always say to me, oh, okay, so did you get like a triple skin peel? No, I've never had anything like that. I couldn't go out in the sun. So I never got wrinkles. And now it's like a good thing. So are there any stories of people within your book that started out with a great disadvantage and somehow along the way either flipped that to an advantage or society kind of pivoted around? Well, I think all the stories in here are about resilience and ah. about self-acceptance and seeing uh, everybody's pushing back in some way, some gently, some forcefully against the messages that we get about how our body should look, how it should function, whom it should love. And um, yeah, there are, you know, I, I, I know this um, podcast, you know, focuses on aging um and 50 plus yeah yeah and there are a bunch of older authors in here who are looking at their bodies and their lives from a place of greater wisdom and acceptance and and there's one um called uh where are you flesh wisdom crone and it's by a, a wonderful writer called named Sue Zuger. And she talks about her, how she didn't realize how beautiful she was when she was younger. And then she wakes up and looks in the mirror. There's a new hair sprouting from my chin. <laughs> and, uh, but she says she didn't appreciate it then and how she wished she did and how now that she can't stick a hand in between between her body and her waistband anymore because uh, it's gotten tighter. She appreciates her um, her attitude. Her you know I'm not taking any crap anymore, and I um, just can embrace who I am. With you know, all, yeah. I 
I think that one of the great messages of this podcast and one of the the reasons uh, for my motivation to leave teleretail after 30 years to have a broader uh, base and audience was to be a defender for aging. Because the truth is, whether you stay with vanity, as I have, it's just part of my nature as a Leo, um, or or it's more about what you accomplish, which is big for me too. The point is aging is different from midlife, but we don't really have a shared or an open forum point of view on that because nobody ever talks about it. And I just noticed on all the Medicare commercials, mm. the women they show and they're, they've got these horrible whiny voices and they're so obnoxious. And I thought, okay, if I was an eight or 10 year old girl looking at that, I would think, shoot me before I grow old. Like if mm -hmm. that's what I'm gonna turn mm -hmm. into. And this is the biggest mechanism for treating us and keeping us well. And it's so agistic that you, you've got to see the the conflict there so is there anybody within your essays that truly zeroes in on how they feel about their body at a certain age as opposed to how they felt about themselves in their youth well the essay i just mentioned does that you know she talks about the the like the random hair that'll pop up she talks about the weight she talks about the sagging boobs um she says i'm a sausage in in spanx um oh yeah and, yeah it, it's just yeah she does um and it, it's there there is a section um called as we age and where there are four writers i have four essays specifically talking about age related issues um but throughout there are older writers who so who what's speak the common theme terms. that you see from these uh participants for aging because sometimes i'll tell you the truth i expect more from myself than i'm able to give I expect more performance than I'm able to exhibit, and I get very frustrated. And it's crazy to be angry at yourself for still being alive, but I feel that the value of your book is you start to see through reading the book and each of these essays, you're not alone in this. There, there is, there is a natural frustration to having to sort of step back, reassess what your purpose is and what your goals, your realistic goals should be as you age. So did you find that from your writers so as well? It's interesting because I found less of a frustration and more of a, wow, I'm really at this point in my life where, um, you know, 
I can do what I want. I'm not as beholden to other people's opinions. Um, I have finally found grace and I have finally found self-acceptance and it was long and hard earned, and, but it's one and I am going to embrace that and myself in every minute I have on this planet. Um, yeah. Yeah. In many ways, I feel the very same. I feel like, oh, I can think what I want. I can, on my own podcast, basically say what I want. I can devote myself to getting a message out that can be very healing and very, hopefully, inspirational in kind of a dark world. Um, but, for instance, yesterday I had a giant bottle of vitamin pills. One of the cats jumped up on the counter and I dropped it. And now there's like 1,000 pills that they're playing cat hockey with on the floor. And I can't really bend over to pick them up. That is the kind of limitation that gets me angry at me. But I think that your book tells us that all of this is shared. And, you know, truthfully, as you grow older, you can live more inside your mind and your own thoughts, which I really love. So while I feel a little bit like a prisoner in my body, I feel totally free emotionally and intellectually, which it, and it's such a strange dichotomy to deal with all the time. It so it is. if I had to ask you, a final big question. I would ask you which, you can have two, which of two essays out of 49 are the most heartwarming and heart-wrenching to you? And can you give us just a little smidge of each of them? Sure. The one that comes to mind is called Perfect. And, um, it's written by Maggie Pajos. And she is? She's, she's in her 30s. Um, but she writes, uh, When I stand, my left leg is slightly bent to compensate for my right leg shortness, my hips askew. I was born breech, under five pounds. When the nurses tried to get my footprints on a pad of paper for my parents to take home, my feet shot back towards me and I inked my own face instead. I came into the world all wrong, but first feet to face folded in half, and that was how I made Lauren Beth Pajos a mother. I was backwards and inky and, fat and far too small, but my mom was completely in love. I would have held you forever, my mom said to me. To me, you were perfect. Oh. And um, she talks about her deep love for her mom and then her an experience when she was trying on bras in Kohl's as a teenager. And she did not hear the announcement on the loudspeaker that they were looking for her because her mom didn't know she went into the, into the dressing room. And she came out 
and they were just about to call the police. And she took from that, uh, you shouldn't care about your body. It's selfish to want to have beautiful breasts and beautiful bras. And I need to kind of push myself down. And then later her mom had, had breast cancer when she was young. And then uh, it came back again. Uh, and it's, um, I, I've read this about 50 times and each time I cry. Um, she's in the parking lot. There's nothing left to do. Hospice, you know, it, it's it's just not, her mom is dying. And she's, they went to pick up a prescription. I'm in the parking lot. My mom and I are talking about who will take care of me when she's gone. <sighs> We're both crying and she pulls me into her. What they don't tell you is that grief is a thousand losses packaged as one. What they don't tell you is your body becomes a carrier ship for all of them. My mom's left breast, the one they reconstructed all those years ago, pushes against my chest firm and stable. The right one has deflated along with the rest of her body. My left leg is bent to straighten out my hips. We are both uneven, mismatched, intertwine we are made up and broken down wet faces to the world in seven days she will be gone right now we are perfect Woo. wow how beautiful and how tragic and how yeah everything wrapped and how real and i think that because too young to be old focuses on how we age and how society sees us and how invisible we are and how how much we need to get out there and be who we are which is the largest generation on earth but we don't act like it and part of that i think is the shame that comes along with growing old. Mm -hmm. And was there any essay within the 49 that deals with that? Because I think that is an ever-present issue. So I mentioned that one about, you know, the the, the one that's um, flesh, I forgot the exact title, crone, uh, body crone. Yes. And um, that one deals with it spot on. But many of them weave um, uh, aging into them. And so many of them deal with shame uh, around our bodies, which we, if we have them when we age, chances are we probably had some shame around our bodies growing up somewhere around along the, the line. Um, it's, or some sort of message that our bodies had to be a certain way. Oh, I felt my body needed to be perfect. I was on television and interestingly enough, I just saw, um, a video of myself on TV from 2017, right before I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was wearing four inch Jimmy Choo heels and now you know, I'm limping around and I'm very hesitant to go out into public because I'm using a cane right now. And a cane to me is a symbol of helplessness, a symbol of less than perfect, a symbol of 
what happened to you. And it also is a great divider mm. between youth and aging. And so, you know, it was amazing to me to come across your book and you as the editor, because I think that, and I, I always question the use of artificial intelligence. We can sit on a couch and be 700 pounds, but you can put out an image that you're like Jessica Rabbit, you know, you're perfect. You've got an avatar and nobody knows that you are what you are. It is very difficult to put together being an authentic woman with all the incredibly photoshopped and filtered mm. and AI images of humans that are out there that are practically impossible to attain or you're a celebrity and you are exercising 12 hours a day, seven days a week to just keep that perfection together. So as a final statement, what would you say that your overriding and outstanding message to the too young to be old audience is from your collection of 49 essays? What is that message to them? That the the love needs to come from within first oh for um, sure yeah and the acceptance needs to come from within and no one control can control how other people see us ha that is so profound yeah so as long as you have it and not that the outside world isn't gonna sting us sometimes you know of course it will but we we've been around long enough to know that as long as it comes from in here, we are all good. So what you're saying is love yourself and message yourself from the heart. And that was honestly my advice to myself, mm -hmm. because when you're on TV for 30 years, in a way, your audience doesn't forgive you for growing old. And people will say to me, now that my hair is grown back, oh, you're getting back to your old self again. Well, my mm. old self was pre-cancer. That mm -hmm. was seven years ago. That's not where I'm going. I'm trying to be, if I had to give a message, I would say it would be my own personal message, which is I am trying to be the best I can be in this very moment mm. i think maybe That's you can't wonderful. do better than that what do you no. think i totally agree and you know that old cliche when one door closes another opens totally, uh, there's yeah. so much to discover still about ourselves and what we can do for ourselves and for others in this world um it's exciting it is exciting. And, and I think that we have a very similar mission, which is to take the population over 50 and say, accept yourself, work with yourself, believe in yourself and rejoice. Because to me, and possibly the message from your book is every moment is a miracle. Every moment is a privilege. Every moment you should 
get as much pleasure out of every moment as you can. And yes, without the filters, without the AI, we are all just human beings. Yeah. And love yourself. That is that is my number one message. And I also think as we age, it is the absolutely biggest challenge. And one thing you said about every moment, you know, is is precious. I think you have to be a certain age to realize that. When you hear the clock ticking, it's a gift because we don't fool around. You know, we have stuff to do and, and we know that time is, is a limited, you know, commodity and we make the best and the most of every minute. Yeah. And, and the title of my book, which is too young to be old and my podcast is just this, your body can be aging, but your mind You can always be young inside your mind and your heart if you stay open and you stay accepting and you realize how absolutely fantastic life is. And with that, Diane Gottlieb, I thank you. And I encourage everybody to pick this up, Awakening, Stories of Body and Consciousness, Personal Stories, 49 essays. Each of them is so inspiring and so heart-wrenching at the same time. So with that, I say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. This was a great pleasure, honor, and joy. Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Diane Gilman, or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review, and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old.